I don't believe in a big tent. The left doesn't have a big tent, and they're doing just fine. You do not have to have a big tent. What you need to do is stand on something, have a set values that you stand on. Because the problem is, I feel like the left have been has been whooping us in the culture war. They have education, they have entertainment, they have every everything in 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 in, in the world right now. And I think people are getting beat so bad that they're trying to join the other side. Meaning, you cannot beat the left by trying to be the left. Thank you, Bryson. So true. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the anti-woke conservative dissertation. Yes, I did steal that naming style from John Doyle, but uh, this is a video that I think has been a very long time in the making on this channel. We we've talked about these concepts on different streams and podcasts and stuff, but I figured it's really time to come together and wrap this all into one single concise video. And this is going to be a very important video because it ultimately dictates where we are headed like fundamentally as a movement. And I I bring this up because I've seen a lot of different figures in the movement who are diverse and kind of different in their own respects, but unite on this one single common principle, which is that they fundamentally believe that the way that conservatives will win the future is by becoming socially liberal on the social issues, right? And you have, a, like I said, you have a lot of different people who kind of ultimately argue the same thing. I don't know if Kathy Zhu is still around, but you know, she's someone who used to say that, well, I'm economically conservative, but socially liberal, right? You have Dr. Carlin Borisenko, who whose debate we reacted to on Slightly Offensive uh, uh, like about a month ago or so ago, and she says the same thing, and she basically says that, you know, conservatives need to basically liberalize on the social issues if they are going to win the future. And you have a lot of people, especially those who are like hardcore supporters of Caitlyn Jenner for governor, who fundamentally believe that conservatives and Republicans need to really abandon a lot of Christians and embrace the LGBT political agenda in order to win elections and ultimately win the future. You also have so-called pro-black conservatives or conscious black conservatives who these are people who argue basically that, uh, you know, yeah, we need to fix the black community, but the problem is not black culture, right? The problem is the system. And in many ways, they're basically BLM advocates with a, with a, with a MAGA hat on, right? Who, who basically, they, they're like, oh, yeah, systemic racism is real, all this stuff. It's just that uh, we're like pro-life and, and we don't believe in all the left-wing solutions, but we ultimately are like pro-black culture and what needs to change is not black culture. So again, liberalize on the social issues because it is a traditionally conservative perspective to say, well, a big problem in the black community is black culture, right? Okay, so there are a lot of different wings, obviously, of kind of liberal, woke conservatism, but I'm here to respond to all of it, okay? And I think in this video, I, 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 I'm going to – and there, there are a lot of reasons why this is, I think, is fundamentally a bad idea, one of which is just that it's wrong to just compromise on your principles in such a, such a big way. But I'm going to approach this video in a little bit of a different respect because I know there are a lot of people that actually have differing principles, and some people, it doesn't – it's not as big of a deal for them to cave as other people, this and that. So I am here to actually fundamentally in this video make the argument from a pure pragmatic one. Like in this video, I'm going to explain why like it doesn't matter if you like personally kind of are, are more sympathetic towards social liberalism or not. It is not going to work for conservatives, like like just pragmatically speaking, electorally, all that stuff. OK. And I want to first start off by stating what I think should be obvious, but clearly is not to some people, which is that. Any supposedly conservative, quote-unquote, movement or coalition that is based upon a liberal worldview 
is bound to ultimately fail. I know it's very cliche to bring this up. I know a lot of people say this, but it's absolutely true that we as conservatives are basically becoming the liberals of 10 years ago, and especially on social issues at least. And if that is true, I ask this question, you know, if we are just the liberals of 10 years ago, if we are just kind of the same thing as them, just going at a slower, uh, slower pace, what ultimately is the point? Like, what ultimately is the point of being a part of politics and being a part of this movement if we are just going to reach the same exact end destination as the liberals just as, at a little bit of a slower rate, right? Like, like, like you say, oh, where, where the liberals are headed is such a bad direction. But if we're literally headed in that direction too, just like a little bit behind and we're going to reach there a little later, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, sure, maybe, maybe it'll save you for a few years, but in the grand scheme of things, what ultimately is the point? As a matter of fact, I would actually argue that it is better to let the liberals guide us to that destination at a faster rate than it is for the conservatives, quote unquote, to get us there slower. And let me explain why. So if we are to say that the end destination is going to be the same, whether the conservatives win the elections or the liberals win the elections, ultimately you're going to get to the same point anyway. I would actually argue that it is better that the liberals get us there. And in turn, we have a conservative movement still standing that actually has principles and is actually grounded in conservative beliefs. The reason I say that is because when that liberalism sort of just eventually reaches its end point, there's going to be a backlash against it. There's going to be a lot of people who are kind of fed up with it. As you see so often in our country, and I know a lot of people kind of feel hopeless, but I still believe that you know once it kind of reaches that point, as, it, as there always is, there's going to be kind of a pendulum swing back in the other direction, right? People are going to get fed up with the liberal orthodox and they're going to say, okay, we're going to swing back. We want the conservatives back in power, right? So at that point, the only way we could actually make substantial change, so we will be given the power back, but the only way we could actually make substantial change is if we have a truly conservative movement left. Because at that point, if when conservatives are handed back the power, we will actually know what we're doing. We'll actually be doing the right thing. And we, when given that power, we will be able to use that pendulum swing back in the other direction to make consequential changes and actually steer things back in the right direction. But that's only if we have a conservative movement that is actually like on board and is actually conservative. If we have a conservative movement that is weak, that is completely astroturf, that is just like a, a, just the, the liberals of 10 years ago, then when we're handed back that power, we are not going to be actually be able to wield power effectively, right? We're not actually going to like do anything to really take back the country. We're just going to kind of like go slow it down for a little bit. And then when the pendulum sh swings back, we will have done ultimately nothing. It will have been totally inconsequential. Okay. So that is why I say that even in the long run, if you think, oh, well, if we just cave on, you know, social issues, then we, we, we can win more elections. In the long run, it's actually better to lose elections and stand on our principles because that way at some point, when we're get basically given back the power by that pendulum swing, at least we'll be able to do something and be effective with that power, okay? That's number one, but, but I get it, I get it. Some people are gonna be like, well, Vince, you know what? I don't care about that. I just wanna win elections, okay? That's all I care about. I'm a shill for the Republican Party. I just want to win the elections, okay? That's where I get into like the second part of this video, which is that electorally speaking, it is actually a poor political strategy to embrace social liberalism. I, I know that a lot of people kind of think on the surface, well, you know, if, if the problem is that there's a lot of social liberals who don't really like this, what, what if we kind of embrace those positions? Maybe we could kind of sweep in and flank those voters, right? I'm here to explain for the rest of this video why that is simply not going to work, why that is actually going to fail, okay? And let me f first start off by stating like the, the most basic level of this, which is that a lot of conservatives 
are already getting fed up with this. And a lot of conservatives, like, you know, I'm talking about like strong social conservatives, a lot of the Christians out there, they're just not willing to take this anymore. I mean, they're not, they're not going to sit back and, and, and take this. So while you make a play for LGBT or whatever votes you're getting, keep in mind that you're ostracizing a lot of social conservatives. And I know a lot of people seem to think, well, they'll vote Republican anyway. But is that actually true? Because we saw in 2016, I mean, do you think that the, the primary election of Donald Trump was some type of accident? I mean, clearly people are, are, were, were getting fed up with the Republican establishment. But I'm also here to say, that it is not true that like these social conservatives and these core conservatives will simply vote for anyone with an R next in their name, okay? Because during the Trump presidency, you saw a, a lot of primary challenges. You saw a lot of people straight up retire because they knew that you know the, the conservative base was simply going to boycott them and not vote for them. But I think the most recent and the most consequential example of this is actually the Georgia runoffs, okay? In the Georgia runoffs. You saw the suburbs sort of swing back toward the Republicans, but th the reason why Republicans lost the Georgia runoffs was because of the rural areas, right? The rural areas, those hardcore conservatives, they actually sat out, they actually boycotted. Like for example, Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, you know, if they turned out at the same level that they, that they did in November, we would have won the runoffs. But those people actually boycotted. You saw like a 15 to 20%, I think if I'm remembering correctly, drop off in turnout. These people literally boycotted because they did not like the candidates. So the idea that like, that, that the core conservatives, like the conservative base is simply willing to you know, step aside and vote for anyone, it's simply not true, okay? And, I, and I, I'm just telling you right now, if you ostracize these people, you are going to lose. You cannot win any elect, like I don't care how where you kind of expand the base to, you, you can't, win elections without the core base. And we learned that in the Georgia Senate runoffs, okay? So this idea that you can just ostracize all the Christians, you can just ostracize all the social conservatives, well, they'll vote for R anyway. They, they, after all, they don't want the Democrats in power, do they? Yeah, it's simply not true, okay? They actually are willing to boycott you, okay? But I, I, think, I think the deeper level of this, I, I think like the, 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 better, the better argument against this, besides the fact that you're gonna get boycotts, is the fact that, okay, Let's say, hypothetically, you've done the math and you think, well, sure, we'll lose XYZ amount of social conservatives, but we'll make up for it by gaining XYZ of moderates and social liberals and all that stuff. I am here to say that however you plan on expanding the coalition, this idea that we can like outpander the left, this idea that, well, hey, look, uh, if Black Lives Matter really mattered to you, well, you would have done criminal justice reform, but we did it. We did criminal justice reform. See, we really care about Black Lives Matter. That, that's something that the Republican Party literally tried to do in 2020. If you remember the RNC, you remember the fact that they literally wouldn't shut up about criminal justice reform and how they were, were actually more woke than you guys, right? Okay, this is what they try to do. You see, you see this. You see a lot of like conservative influencers basically try to do this with the LGBT as well. They're like, well, Trump was the first man to appoint a, a gay man, so see, we're the real pro-gay people. Like, okay, all, all this woke pandering, all this identity politics. I'm here to say that it's not going to work. Okay, it's not going to work. And, and, and the reason for this is that you will not be able to beat the left at their own game. Like, like you will not like I don't care how diverse we become. I don't care how woke on the issues we become. We will never be able to out woke the left. We will never never be able to out pander the left in this sort of like woke sense in this, this identity politics sense. It simply doesn't work. They will have the ultimate flank on these people, and, and a big reason why is because the type of the types of people who buy into the identity politics game, you know, aside from the fact that like the left will always have the more woke coalition because they are like, they are the people of wokeness. They are the people who created wokeness. 
aside from that, you know, the type of people who actually are, are sold on these types of identity politics, uh, literally, like, they, they, they're so shallow-minded that, that, that they're, they're never going to even listen or be open to Republicans to begin with, okay? But fundamentally, you're not going to be able to beat the left at, your own, at their own game. You're not going to be able to prove that, well, you guys are the real homophobes. You guys are the real racists. It's just not an effective strategy because they will always be more woke than we are, okay? Because we are not woke. I mean, it is fundamentally anti-conservative. It is not our thing. We're not going to be able to co-opt their thing and expect it, expect it to work, work the same. It's not going to work. So with that being said, I am here to say Stop appealing to the woke activists, okay? The criminal justice reform a a activists are not going to vote for you anyway. The pride march activists are not going to vote for you anyway. Rather, okay, rather we need to be appealing to a totally different set of people that is not turned on by this sort of like dumb pandering that we try to copy from the Democrats, okay? Now, Let's talk about what the Republican Party act in the conservative movement in general actually should do to win new voters. Like, like what, what kind of messaging should they adopt? Because I'm not here to just bash on other people's strategies. I'm here to also present my own. Well, you hear like Kathy Zhu, you know, Carlin Borizenko. You hear it all the time. I'm economically conservative, but socially liberal. In other words, I'm a libertarian, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm politically conservative, but I'm also socially liberal. So I don't care what you do so long as uh, I, I don't have to pay for it, okay? And most often, the people who push this are the quote-unquote big tent conservatives. And they claim by doing this, by, by being socially liberal, they're going to build a big tent, quote-unquote. I'm here to say you're not, okay? You're not. And, there, and, and, and I, I'm not here to say that with my own beliefs. I'm here to present you data, okay, data. I don't care if you're politically conservative, but socially liberal, whatever. It is a reality that very few people like you, and I know this hurts. I know you don't want to hear this. Very few people like you actually exist in the American electorate. And I have data to prove it. So here's a study uh, done back in 2016 that basically charted the political compass of the 2016 electorate. Okay, so as you can tell, the red is who voted for Trump, the blue is who voted for Hillary Clinton. Now, just to explain who you're looking at on this, what you're looking at on this graph, the right side of the graph is like economically conservative, right? So there's like free markets, low taxes, that type of stuff. On the left side of the graph, the, the, the other side of the x-axis, uh, that's basically, you know, economically left-wing. So, you know, bigger government, more regulation, all that stuff. Now, on the top of the graph, is socially conservative. So we're talking like, you know, traditionalist, you know, usually they're probably more religious people, more pro-family, like, like you know what I'm saying, okay? Now on the bottom are, are the people who are socially liberal. Now look at this graph and tell me what you see, okay? So for the people who say, whoa, the Republican Party needs to become more economically conservative but socially liberal, like Carlin Borizenko, for instance. Okay, maybe Carlin Borizenko believes that. But look at the graph. If you look at the graph, you notice that the bottom right quadrant, which is where Carlin Borizenko obviously is, is literally the least saturated part of the graph, like, in general. Like, you actually look at this graph, you realize, holy crap, very little of America is actually here. And so when you ask, you know, what part of this graph should the Republican Party be moving in order to win elections, I know a lot of people seem to think, well, we become more socially liberal, but we keep our economic conservatism, uh, we will win. But you actually look at this graph, you can tell, uh, like, no. 
No, there's actually no one there. Actually, the Republican for the Republican Party to move in that direction would be political suicide. Okay, you look at this question. You you look at this graph. You actually notice, despite all these claims about you know conservatives being well, we're actually socially liberal. We actually don't really care what you do as long as we don't have to pay for it. You actually notice that the majority of Trump's base and actually a lot of Hillary Clinton voters as well, like a lot more blue dots in, in the in the left top left quadrant than the than the bottom right. Just a lot of America in general is actually rather socially conservative on the issues. So knowing this, knowing this is where kind of Trump's base was, knowing this is where Hillary Clinton's base was, please tell me, like, please give me like one single reason as to why you think moving towards social liberalism is a good idea. You can clearly see from this graph, not from my opinion, not from your opinion, but from the actual 2016 electorate. And by the way, this stuff carries over. It's not like we've radically changed that it doesn't work. Like, like, be, like do, embracing that ideology does not work. In fact, if anything, it's actually the opposite, okay? Because the interesting thing about this graph that you can see is that, you know, we always talk about big government and, and, and ec economic conservatism and all that. But when you look at this graph, you actually notice that most of Trump's voters are in the center on economics. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton's voters are more predictable. It's like, oh, they're economically liberal and socially liberal. Okay, makes sense. You notice that Trump's voters, socially conservative, very socially conservative, yes. Okay, so that's strike one for Carlin Borzenko. But strike two is that they're not actually that economically conservative. You notice they're more in the center, right? They're economically centrist. They're economically populist, okay? And you, you kind of look at this. You can see where the Republicans can and need to build their coalition because let's remember, this electoral compass is the one that like won the election, okay? We won this election through by, the, by building this coalition. You notice that it's very obvious from this graph, like from the real American electorate, not from what I believe or what you believe, from the real American electorate, that the way that the, cons the Republican Party and the conservative movement needs to basically embrace going forward is to be economically populist but socially conservative. And that, that's literally like the exact opposite of what this fiscally conservative, economic, uh, socially liberal basically tries to say, right? And uh, this shouldn't be surprising to anyone. I mean, it really shouldn't. You know, you look at the modern American electorate today, you see that Republicans now basically need to win at least one, sometimes two of those Rust Belt states, right? Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, if on a really good year, right? In order to get to 270, in order to win elections, okay? It's no secret that the reason Trump became competitive there is because of the white working class, right? That sort of blue collar vote. And it's no secret that this is a demographic that traditionally used to vote for the Democrats. And the reason they used to vote for the Democrats was because of economic policy. Now, the reason they've been outcasted by the Democrats is because of two reasons. Number one is kind of a lesser reason, but it is true that the Democrats have kind of gone further left on the economics than you know these blue-collar workers vote. A lot of these blue-collar people are kind of in the middle on economics. But also, number two, it's a lot of social issues, right? The white working class is socially conservative. So, they're, they're, you know, they're like I said, and like the graph shows, they are economically conservative and social, I mean, I mean, sorry, sorry, messed it up. They are not economically conservative and socially liberal. They're, they're actually kind of the opposite, okay? And so, so Carlin Borizenko's strategy, Carlin Borizenko's message in the Midwest is political suicide. But I'm here to also point out the other places that Republicans need to win, you know? Because obviously everyone kind of knows, everyone kind of accepts at this point that that blue collar coalition, that white working class coalition is very necessary for the Republican Party. But let's also talk about like the minority vote or whatever. Because in 2020, you saw Republicans spend a lot of time, and I've talked about this a lot, on pandering to the black community, right? Half the RNC was like about black issues, okay? You also saw a lot of, to a lesser extent, but you also saw a lot of influencers and stuff basically trying to win the LGBT community. 
And it's like, you know, a lot of people basically treat that as normal and what we should be doing. But I'm here to also say that that is wrong. Like, like we are wasting our time doing that. No, the, the, the target community outside of like the white working class that, you know, is traditionally Democrat, but we should be trying to expand to, it's not the black community. It is not uh, the LGBT community. It is actually the Hispanic community, okay? So that is where the Republicans need to be appealing. And let me explain to you why. Let me explain to you why. It's like, nope, stop, stop wasting your time in Atlanta or whatever. Go after the Hispanic vote. Let me tell you why, okay? So number one is just pure numbers. Hispanics are the fastest growing demographic group, uh, you know, minority demographic group in America, and they are the largest minority group. So number one, they have the largest numbers and they're going to have even larger numbers, okay? It's just numbers, number one. Number two, look at where a lot of Hispanics live, okay? Arizona. Texas, Florida, these are states where, you know, that we have to kind of worry about in elections, but these are states that we literally would not even have to think about if we had, if we won the Hispanic vote or at least a large enough share of it. I mean, obviously these are states with a lot of Hispanics. These are states that are key for Republicans to win, to win elections, and it just makes sense. So we would win these states easily, okay? But we'd also win, okay, let, let's not forget this though, we'd also win Nevada and we'd also win New Mexico if we like won the Hispanic vote, okay? So you can see how this is an electoral gold mine and this is not, like if Republicans won all the LGBT votes, this would not be true. Even if Republicans won all the black votes, this would not be true. You can see that Hispanics are like an electoral gold mine for us that we are clearly missing, okay? By the way, even Illinois, Illinois, yeah, like the deep blue Illinois, if we were competitive with Hispanics, it, it would basically become a battleground state, okay? So you can see why mathematically th this is so important, okay? But number two, Besides the pure numbers, the other reason why I say we need to go after Hispanics is that I believe it is a far more winnable, realistically reachable demographic group than blacks or LGBT or whatever we've tried to do in the past, okay? Number one, we've kind of seen that just in elections that Hispanics are actually opening up to us, okay? Obviously, there's the Cubans in Florida, and the Cubans are the big reason why Florida went to Trump so easily in 2020, and everyone knows that and understands that. But uh, something, a, a fact that a lot of people also miss is Texas. So obviously, Texas was a state that a lot of people were worried about in 2020. Democrats were hoping they would flip, and it literally did not happen. Like, it did not even come close to happening. Trump won by, what was it, like 5.8 points? The reason for this, the reason for this was because of the Hispanic vote, okay? Because you saw huge swings in, in the electorate to the right in the Rio Grande Valley, right? The Rio Grande Valley, that part that borders Mexico, used to be a Democrat stronghold. These people swung big time to the right. You had some counties like Star County, Texas, you know, swung like 40, 50 points to the right uh, since 2016. And these are not just Cubans voting Republican because of socialism or whatever. These are largely Mexicans voting Republican because of a lot of different issues. But, you know, like, like the border, you know, Black Lives Matter, like, like th there were actually like other issues besides the Cubans and, and, and socialism that as we've, we kind of see Hispanics are swinging to the right and they're swinging to the right in consequential number, in consequential numbers, not, not in like inconsequential numbers, but in consequential numbers, okay? Because like, like, like I'm gonna reiterate, Hispanics saved Texas. I think they did the math. Uh, obviously Trump won Texas by like 5.8 points. If, if the Hispanics did not save Trump, if Hispanics just kept with their 2016 trends, Trump would have barely won the state by one point, maybe even lost the state of Texas, but he didn't because of the Hispanics, not because of the black community, the LGBT community, but the Hispanics. So you can see that not only is there potential here, but the Hispanics are basically the only demographic group with the numbers to save Republicans in consequential ways, okay? Now let's ask ourselves, 
how do you build a Hispanic coalition? And l let me explain to you the other reason of why I say Hispanics should be the target coalition. What do Hispanics actually believe? Okay, G good question, right? Well, you look at trends, and you, if you're Hispanic or you know a lot of Hispanics, you probably can attest to this yourself, you know. On the social issues, you guys always talk about, how, about becoming socially liberal and all this stuff, but on the social issues, many Hispanics, most Hispanics, are actually pretty socially conservative on the social issues, okay? Uh, think of your average Hispanic in America, and it's true. You know, most Hispanics are very Catholic, and as a result, they're very, they're very traditionalist, you know, very pro-family, pro-life, right? And this is not just something that I'm kind of stereotyping. This is even something that's, you know, shown up in data. Here's Pew, from Pew Research. They polled Hispanics. You know, gen they, this is an interesting study. 54% uh, of the U.S. general population is, believes abortion should be legal in most or all cases. 41% says it should be illegal in most or all cases. Meanwhile, Hispanics, 51% said it should be illegal. 43% said it should be uh, legal. So this is, you know, they're, they're, they are pro-life. People might bring up the LGBT kind of question in this, but I would argue that it was just not a well-framed question, you know. But we know this. We know that, that Hispanics are like a socially conservative group. So what makes you think? What makes you think that appealing to a bunch of Catholic, social conservative traditionalists, well, the way we should do that is by embracing social liberalism. Does that make any sense to you? Does that like, genuinely make any sense to you? Now let's ask the question. Let's ask the question like why haven't Hispanics been voting for Republicans this whole time, right? Good question. Well, it's not because of the social issues. Like, that, let, let's, let's make that clear right now. I mean, part of it, yeah, it's just kind of like culture, like, oh, the Telemundo and stuff and all the Spanish media and pop culture is all like, oh, Hispanics need to be liberals. But I think this is really the biggest reason why. Same Pew Research study found this. So they asked this question to Hispanics and then the U.S. general population. Would you rather have a smaller government providing fewer services or a bigger government providing more services, right? So this is like the big government question. Now, in this survey, 48% of the U.S. general population said they want a smaller government, okay? 41% said they want a bigger government. Meanwhile, Hispanics, 75% said they want a bigger government. Only 19% said they want a smaller government. So you realize this is the issue, okay? This is the issue. And I'm, I'm not saying that, like, we win the Hispanic vote by, like, going totally to the left on economics. Obviously, you're going to outcast a lot of people there. But it is to say that I think this is just another argument as to why right-wing populism, not economic libertarianism, is the way forward. Because you notice that a lot of Hispanics are more liberal on the economic issues than most, like, tra the, of the traditional conservative coalition. Well, the way I think you could flank a lot of Hispanics into, their coali into our coalition is by embracing economic populism. And it's not just like economic populism that sells with Hispanics and could, you know, get more people to kind of open up. Well, maybe the Democrats are a little bit better on my social services, but I, I don't support the baby killers, right? Um, but also, this is true of the white working class, obviously. And I would argue that economic populism really does not alienate the traditional, like, rural areas and stuff like that. Like, you know, the rural areas, the traditional conservative demographics, they love Trump. And who was Trump? Trump was an economic populist. So I don't, I don't think, like, by at least, obviously, you go too far in economics, you, you, you run the risk. But if you kind of embrace, like, common sense sort of economic populism, economic nationalism, you're really just bound to keep the old coalition and make it be more uh, appealing, more digestible to the white working class, to Hispanics, to all these different groups of people, okay? And so, ultimately, this is how I think conservatives need to build their coalition. 
considering that Hispanics, which we've already established, this needs to be the target group. Like th these are the people we need to be going after, you know, especially when you consider the fact that by like 2040, 2050, it's actually an inevitability that uh, Hispanics are going to outnumber whites in America. You know, that does not have to be political suicide for us if we play our cards correctly. But how do we build this coalition? You don't build this coalition by embracing Caitlyn Jenner. You build this coalition by doing the opposite. You build this coalition by playing into the natural social conservatism of the Hispanic community, okay? And this is something that I think it will not be exactly the easiest thing to do, but is actually possible. Here's another interesting data point I'd like to bring up. So here's a poll uh, done of Joe Biden voters. So people who voted for Joe Biden um, and what these people uh, believe on the social on, on the issue of Black Lives Matter, okay? So they asked people who voted for Joe Biden, what is your opinion on the Black Lives Matter movement? So by every other racial group, you got basically what you expected. Like, basic, like the vast majority of people who voted for Biden support BLM, except for the Hispanics. They pulled the Hispanics on this, and they found that 42% of Hispanics who voted for Joe Biden did not support BLM. Okay, and you know, you can say there's a lot of different reasons why, like, well, why would they vote for Joe Biden to begin with? I know, I know. But do you see what I'm saying here? Do you see why I say, like, this is a group that I think is actually much more realistic to reach and we could actually do something with? A lot of Hispanics are not, we're actually not on board with the social reasons to vote for Democrats. So what, why don't we go into these communities and actually make this appeal? Why did we waste so much time in 2020? on criminal justice reform, and we should have been doing the opposite. We should have been going into the Hispanic communities and saying wholeheartedly, we oppose the BLM movement, okay, we support law and order, all this stuff. It's actually, it actually makes more, way more sense, you know? And last reason I'll bring up here that I think it's just kind of easier to pry into the Hispanic vote is the fact that, you know, the black community, the LGBT community, they are far less politically diverse than, you know, the, the, than Hispanics are, right? Black community is like 88 to 12, 88% are, are Democrats. I'm sure it's similar numbers in the LG, LGBT community, right? And this matters. The, you know, the, the, the political homogeneity of these communities matter because, you know, at least for instance, if, you, if you're a black person and you kind of grow up around the black community, because numerically speaking, it is so electorally homogenous, you, you have you, no one's really going to expose you to like Republican ideas to a large extent, and I, and I know as much as we like to say, well, uh, 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 it should all be about policy, right? Whose policies are the best? I know that's idealistically how we would like to think, but it's just a sheer reality that a lot of people simply vote around you know the the, the way the community votes, their their parents, their friends, their family, their neighbors, right? That that is how a lot of politics is brought into people. It's kind of socialized into people, right? And so, if you have a community where it's like there, there's like no, no one there to expose new people to the Republican Party, that's going to be very hard. Whereas when you have Hispanics who are a lot more politically diverse in the sense that there's a much larger share that are already Republicans, it is just simply more realistic to say, well, we kind of have seeds in this community that can kind of plant the seeds and grow, kind of like grow the, the vote. Right? Whereas something like the black community, it is much harder. So, you know, here's my question. Here's ultimately my question. You know, we always talk about identity politics. We, we always play identity politics in ways that are just so stupid and so inconsequential. Oh, here's a transgender for governor. Oh, here's a black person speaking at the RMC. Oh, 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 you can't call us racist anymore. We have Tim Scott and Kimberly Clasick. Okay. Here's my question, though. You know, like I've established, Hispanics are the key group. White working class is the key group. Why do we play identity politics in all of the ways that, except those that matter? And I'm not necessarily saying that it'll work, it'll be effective, but why do we never even ask, 
you know, we play identity politics, black, white, all this stuff. Why do we never play identity politics with, like, Catholic, like, like Catholicism, you know? Most Hispanics, as I established, Catholic. A lot of the white working class, because, you know, a lot of them kind of descend from, you know, German immigrants, Catholic. There's Catholic groups out there. Instead of saying, hey, BLM, look, we have a Tim Scott. Why do we never, you know, go to these communities and say, well, hey, uh, hey, Hispanics, hey, white working class, so we have Ron DeSantis. He's a Catholic, you know? And I'm not necessarily saying it'll, it'll work 100%, but I'm just saying, like, if you're going to approach this from the identity politics view, wh why do we never do this in the wrong way? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because we're scared to talk about religion, okay? Despite the fact that there are, like, millions of unregistered Christians in this country, despite the fact that the Hispanic community is very religious and, you know, there's a lot of, like, Catholics that we could kind of, hey, you're, like, vote for the, don't vote for the anti-God party, right? Despite all of that, we're just so scared of bringing up religion because we don't want to seem too socially conservative. Well, again, I'm here to say that if you want to win Hispanics, you need to be socially conservative, okay? And I can tell you right now that if Caitlyn Jenner becomes a national face of the Republican Party, you can kiss all of those gains with Hispanics goodbye, okay? You can kiss them goodbye because these are not who Hispanics are as a community and they do not support this type of stuff, okay? So... I now have presented to you, I think, a, a viable electoral coalition. Again, it does not exist with like, whoa, here's the libertarians and the blacks and the LGBT, and here we go, guys. Viable electoral coalition. I have presented to you what I think is the actual important electoral coalition and, and the actual one that's numerically and geographically the most important. We, we have the traditional conservative voters, obviously the core conservatives, the rural areas, plus the white working class in the Midwest, plus the Hispanics, we have a coalition that dominates, okay, that dominates, gets, gets well over 270 if we really do well with these groups. And I think, and I know what people are going to say, they're going to, I think that the only counter argument to like this coalition is going to, people are going to say, well, Vince, what about the suburbs? Oh my God, the suburbs. Okay, but the suburbs don't like us. The suburbs don't like right-wing populism. That's not true, actually. That's not true, actually. But I, I, I will say this about the suburbs. It is true that like the suburbs are really like our Achilles heel right now. But I will counter with the, the fact that what do you mean, what about the suburbs? In the 2020, I, I know we ran Trump, but to a large extent, Republicans tried this. They tried to be socially woke, right? It's all about criminal justice reform, all this stuff. And did it make a dent in the suburbs? No, we still lost them. Okay, we still lost them. We still screwed up with them royally. So you're like, well, I, don't get me wrong. I don't think like the suburbs will be just won back overnight. But clearly your strategy didn't work with the suburbs. You know, you're trying to cave on the social issues, be socially liberal to win the suburbs, and it didn't even work. So who are you to say, whoa, but the suburbs, Vince, the su you didn't win the suburbs. Your strategy, which we tried in 2020, did not make a dent in the suburbs. So at the very least, I have a strategy where I, I think it'll actually help a little bit in the suburbs. But overall, okay, let's say it doesn't necessarily win the suburbs. At least I have a strategy. I have a coalition that despite the losses in the suburbs, we can overcome it because of the Hispanics and because of the blue-collar workers and have numbers where even with the losses in the suburbs, it doesn't matter. Example of this, Texas, right? We lost the Dallas suburbs in Texas massively. It didn't matter because we have the Hispanics. So at least I'm pretty, like, we, we both agree that we're going to struggle with the suburbs, whether it's you or whether it's my strategy. But at least my strategy wins people outside of the suburbs so that we can make up for that, okay? So what about the suburbs? What about the suburbs? You're, you're not winning the suburbs, okay? So I don't even understand this. You're not winning the suburbs. In fact, try my strategy. I bet you it would even work better in the suburbs. But, you know, even if it doesn't, at least it works better in other places, okay? So... Suburbs, out of the picture, okay, that, that's not really a reason to embrace social liberalism because it, it, you do not, it doesn't even work in the suburbs, first of all. But secondly, 
I'm not going to sacrifice the rest of the coalition just for the suburbs. You need other places, obviously, as well to win. But the last thing I'm going to say here to wrap up, folks, is, you know, with all we've talked about and explained why a socially liberal agenda will not work for the GOP, does not work for conservatism, I'm going to wrap up here and say, because I know a lot of people are, are kind of scared of the cultural issues that they, they feel like, well, we should just sit out. Like Carlin Borisenko in that debate unironically suggested that the reason why conservatives have lost is because we are too overbearing on the social issues. The Republicans were in control for 12 years until what happened? The normal juries tried to swoop right in and started legislating Christianity. And that is when they lost the culture war. That is when they started losing voters, when they started trying to legislate their religion the first time around. I am here to say for conservatives who are scared to touch the social issues, understand this. There is no long-term meaningful political victory for conservatives in America without cultural victory. Okay, it just simply does not exist. In order to win the politics, we ultimately have to win the culture. In the sense that, hey, you know, and I don't care. Look, I don't, I don't care how many people you present to me like, hey, well, Vince, I'm gay. I'm a drag queen, and I, I, I support Republican politics. I don't care how many, like, anecdotal evidence, pieces of evidence you try to bring to me to this. It is ultimately true that on an aggregate scale, on a broad scale in society, Whatever type of culture that people subscribe to ultimately affects the way those people think. And I don't care how many free thinker examples you show me. For the most part, whatever culture people subscribe to affects the way they think. How they think, whatever their worldview is, ultimately affects their politics. What affects the politics ultimately affects the way they vote. Okay, this should be obvious. But, but that, that is why I say you, you cannot win the politics without winning the culture. It, it does not exist. You know, do you think that the increase in, like, the role of government and the increase in, like, big government over the past 50, 60 years is in any way disconnected from, you know, the, the increase in liberal culture, the, the decline of the family, the decline of the church? Do you think any of those things are disconnected? No, they're obviously not. And I, I don't care if, like, well, you personally don't have a family, but I'm still a political. It doesn't matter. On an aggregate scale in society, these trends exist. They are true, and you are simply not going to overcome them. So, sure, maybe we win an election here, maybe we win an election there, but ultimately in the long term, we will not make any political meaningful gains. We will not make any uh, long-term, sustainable, lasting, significant political victories if we do not have victories in the culture. Because on a basic level, whatever people think affects how the people vote. And if the culture is influencing people to think in a way that drives them to liberal politics, you cannot disconnect the two. They are not disconnectable. You have to change that culture in order to get the people to change their politics. Okay? And that should be very self-explanatory, but I, I think a lot of people kind of miss that aspect of it. And they think, well, yeah, I, I, I don't care who you are. You know, you, you can do whatever you want. Just vote for us. Yeah, but th that's, a, that's the thing. They will not vote for you if they are doing certain things and they believe certain things. Like, it, it's, it should be common sense, but clearly it's not. Okay? But anyways, guys, with that being said, those are all my reasons, pragmatic reasons, by the way. You know, we can talk about the, the, the morals or the ethics of, you know, these things at a certain time. We, we could kind of talk about the actual morality behind social conservatism and why it's, it's inherently moral and all that stuff. But I thought this was more effective. I, th I feel like this is more effective. This is more digestible to say. Because, you know, there are a lot of people who have already talked about this stuff. There's a lot of influencers that I'm sure you can go watch and you can listen to to hear, well, here are the actual arguments for social conservatism. But I hear, I hear today thought it would be best to make a pragmatic argument okay so realize this folks we will not win elections like this like we will we will win nothing 
like like doing this stuff, okay? You have to embrace, embrace social conservative conservatism to build a viable coalition in the short term and the long term and in order to win elections, all that stuff. It, it does not exist. And to wrap up my last point, remember, there is no uh, cultural, there's no political victory without cultural victory. It does not exist, okay? But with that being said, guys, thank you very much for watching. If you're more interested in this type of stuff, okay, if you're interested in like kind of joining, hey, how do we actually take back the, the stupid, take back our movement from the stupid establishment talking points and really build a viable coalition that can actually win the future? Well, you're in luck, folks, because if you, if you made it to the end of this video, I assume you're very passionate about the stuff you want to get involved. I am actually starting my own political organization. It's a 501c3 organization known as the American Populist Union. You can follow us on social media at Populist Union on Instagram and Twitter. And also you can uh, subscribe to us on YouTube at American Populist Union. I'll actually have that in my sub bar by the time I, uh, by my, my channel bar by the time I upload this video. Um, and so go, be sure to check us out, guys. Okay, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of this stuff. This, this, this organization is basically centered on like building this conservative coalition that I just talked about. So I'm a man of action. Okay, we're actually going to be we're actually going to be like getting on boots on the ground and actually just, like doing this and not just talking about well, this is what needs to be done. Okay, there's going to be a lot of great members of the organization. Okay, uh, you know Red Eagle is going obviously going to be a part of it, and Daniel Abbott, uh, John Doyle. It's going to be pretty epic. Okay, so be sure to check us out. Go subscribe to us, uh, and we'll be launching that organization around May 17th. So it's going to be a great time guys but yeah thank you very much for watching remember no woke conservatism not even once and i'll see you guys in the next one remember folks alpha moves only and peace